Hello, welcome to a CII podcast on the Ethical Shareholder Initiative. My name is Ken Birch, and we have as guests Tamara Balanfanti, who is co-founder, along with the late Cornell professor Lynn Stout, of the Ethical Shareholder Initiative. And she's going to explain what that is and talk about it a little bit. She is a professor at New York Law School with expertise in corporate governance and also in the proxy advisory industry. And Arthur Cohn at Cleary Gottlieb is providing advice to the Ethical Shareholder Initiative and he's on the call as well. So I want to thank you both for joining the call and start with Tamara. What is ESI, the Ethical Shareholder Initiative? Thank you so much, Ken, for inviting us to be on this podcast. So ESI, SE as we call it, the Ethical Shareholder Initiative, we're an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that believes that shareholders can be a positive force for business. We're funded by the Ford Foundation, and we're founded in 2015, as you mentioned, by Lynn Stowe, um, the late Lynn Stowe, professor of law at Cornell, and a corporate governance expert and author of the shareholder value myth. And what we're looking to do at SE is to bring together a more inclusive notion of shareholder value and showing how this more inclusive notion might apply to all items on the ballot. Not so not just shareholder proposals, but everything from election of directors to executive compensation and of course general corporate governance issues. I should add that Lynn would be very pleased to see the revised statement of purpose of the corporation from the business roundtable, since this is what she dedicated so much of her life to, and this was the impetus, if you will, for forming SE. Okay, uh, thank you. Can you talk a little bit about who you hope to serve and also what problems you hope to solve, which you started on, but maybe go a little bit more depth? Absolutely. We hope to serve individuals and institutional shareholders, pension funds, foundations, universities, and other nonprofits, as well as ESG, CSR, and impact investing funds who care about this long-term value creation. The problem that we're looking to solve is really a problem of filling the gaps, if you will, and there are two gaps. So one is the gap between the wisdom that's being generated in the sustainability marketplace and the long-term value creation space about the need to pay attention to metrics such as employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction and the environment and all these other things that we see the BRT statement getting at. So you have a lot of wisdom and data and sound research and policies being generated, but that is not necessarily being translated into votes outcomes on the ballot. So that's one gap that we're hoping to fill and hope to bring together. And the second is there is a disconnect between, we view it as a disconnect between the energy and intentionality that goes into shareholder proposals for shareholders who care about these ESG issues and what are generally thought of as non-financial issues and what they're doing when it comes to other items on the rest of the ballot. So right now, what you're seeing is a lot of collective action, if you will, on the shareholder proposal end of the ballot, but not the same intentionality when you look across the ballot. So we're hoping to fill and address these two gaps in the system. If I could chime in on that note, I think that Lynn would have said, and and Tamara, I'm certain you would agree, that the idea here is to really serve a very broad audience. 
the idea behind SE is that if corporations could think about value creation in the way that the business roundtable statements suggest they might, that there would be greater value created for the whole society. There would be shareholder value created and other values which SE is seeking to promote that would be enhanced. That's correct, Arthur. And thank you for saying that. And the, the other related point to is, and it gets back to the notion of what do we mean by shareholder value and this idea of looking at more inclusive notions of shareholder value. And by that, what we mean is our starting point is not an assumption of shareholders only care about returns for themselves. We see this with the stewardship movement in the shareholding space, where we believe that shareholders care, yes, they care about returns, but they care about other qualities and criteria for the companies in which they hold stock. And we do believe that there are a group of shareholders that care about the long-term success of the companies, which includes employee welfare, customer satisfaction, attention to the environment, diversity, etc. And I should say CII, since its founding, has been all about long-term shareholder value. And I believe that stakeholders do have to be treated with respect. There was some concern about the BRT statement that it may be part of trying to lessen accountability to shareholders. And so in voting, it's obviously a key piece of the accountability mechanism. Is what you're describing here really a proxy advisory service? How exactly will it work? Right. So we get that question a lot, and we're still in the testing phase of designing and defining the precise form that this product or service will take. What we would say is we're using the proxy voting mechanism, but we're not necessarily a proxy voting service. So we can think of the proxy voting services in the space and two main players come to mind. We're different in terms of organizational structures. So we're a nonprofit and also our operating ethos. And by that, I mean, when we look at a company and we look at items on the ballot, we are trying to assess this company and these items on the ballot through a holistic systems approach. And specifically, what we've done or what we're doing is we've boiled our analysis down into a framework of what we call our four Ps. So we look at metrics related to people, metrics related to the planet, metrics related to politics and political disclosure, and metrics related to long-term profits. And we're doing that because we believe that looking at the holistic company altogether is actually what leads to shareholder value and value for stakeholders in the long run. Ken, I would add that I think SE's mission, consistent with the experience and activism of CII's membership, is that advice on voting the proxy and making shareholder proposals can be effective in some circumstances, but certainly not the only mechanism for exerting influence by shareholders on corporate action. And engagement and other similar efforts are also a part of SE's mission. And I read Lynn Stout's book, and, and she's spoken quite a lot to CI members on sort of what she would like to see. I guess it's still not clear to me how you start to fulfill that. Is it voting recommendations in part? It is in part, hopefully, voting recommendations. And in addition to that, just producing very high quality material and frameworks to helping others figure out how to vote. And the others being, again, individual shareholders who care about these issues, as well as institutional shareholders. 
The other piece, and it's related to Arthur's point about engagement and other similar efforts in addition to vote recommendations on proxies. A part of SE has a norm change campaign built into it, meaning that we don't think it's enough to simply issue vote recommendations. Part of it is about advocating for what we view as a more holistic notion of who is a shareholder and the notion of shareholder value. So it's a potentially a daunting task with, with issues in various areas. For example, ind- individuals, I mm-hmm. think, have been mostly disengaged from corporate democracy, if you will. Where's the most resistance or where do you see the biggest barriers in terms of moving things where you want to move them? Let me address the individual's point first, and then I'll go back to where have we seen the most resistance. So one of the things that we looked at when we started SE is exactly what you said, right? So individuals who own shares directly vote at a sub-30% level, right, compared to institutional shareholders that it's above 90%. But yet, when you look at the energy and agency that they exercise when they're not wearing their shareholder hat, so when they're wearing, I don't know, their customer hat or when they're on social media in different aspects. You're not seeing the same energy when it comes to shareholding. So we wanted to get at that. And we did some preliminary focus group work. And it's a skewed sample because we're mainly dealing with grad students. So we admit that it's a skewed sample. Trying to get a sense of, well, what would get people excited and motivated to vote and actually exercise, right, their shareholder voting rights. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that when you say corporate governance, it gets a general yawn. People, they're like, yeah, it sounds good, but eh, which was disheartening to us as corporate law professors. But (laughs) when you begin to talk about social values or others or pro-social behavior, then all of a sudden people become engaged and the interest, the apathy that we're seeing when you just talk about general corporate governance, that begins to soften and lessen. So we realized that there was something there about uniting individuals who care about this long-term value creation with institutions who also care about stewardship and long-term value creation, bringing them together in a coordinated effort under one banner that there could be real power and leverage there. So that was what we're seeing on the individual side. And then to your question as where to where have we been seeing resistance or where do we expect to see the most resistance? I think no surprise, we're wading into an established space, right? Where there are established players. And so the question is, well, why would anyone use you or look to your votes recommendations when it's a space that's already populated and people are already wedded to whomever they use? And our answer there is, well, We believe that our analysis is different and we believe that there is value in what we're doing. And we are actually in a proof of concept that we're running with the Drucker Institute, where we have uh, various asset managers, including, I think some of them are your members, including some pension funds and also asset owners trying. And and what we're doing is we're making tangible all that I've discussed, i.e. showing people like how our analysis would be different when you took every item on the ballot and you ran it through an SC4P approach as opposed to what's out there. Okay. That's, I think, really interesting. And I'm wondering what the next steps are. Maybe I could ask both of you to comment on how you might operationalize this. So as I said, we're in the proof of concept. Um, 
with the Drucker Institute, and we're cautiously optimistic so far. And our next steps would be to take what we've learned from this pilot and then begin to concretize it and figure out what is the best entry point in the marketplace to operationalize it. And I'll, I'll switch it over to Arthur, who will talk about more from his practice experience, some of the concrete things that we could be doing. I think that corporations have kind of taken a step forward. Management, I should say, has taken a step forward with the BRT roundtable statement in furtherance of the issues that SE cares about. Uh, investors have for a long time indicated their interest in those issues. And I think that there's very little daylight in that regard between the CII statement and the new BRT statement on corporate purposes. I think that there is a greater role for boards to play to actually you know, make actual movement to operationalize these issues. And I've got three principal issues that I think need to be addressed. One is I think boards need some more resources and information to actively engage in these issues on behalf of the corporations that they represent, where they stand as an intermediary, I think very well positioned to act in these issues between shareholders and management. I think secondly, companies need to be very clear on when they communicate on these issues. I think it's important not to suggest that an emphasis on the values that are important to SE somehow detracts from shareholder rights or from shareholder value, as CII and Ken, I know you have suggested. And I think that requires a certain amount of clarity. I don't think there's much tension there. It's just a question of being clear. And then finally, I think companies need to do quite a bit of work internally among different business units and business functions to figure out how they really want to move forward, how they can improve their long-term profitability, their long-term value by focusing on some of the issues that SE and others have highlighted. And I think that with those three items, those are the three principal items that are keys to moving to the next step. So that's a good list. And I agree with you, Arthur, that those are really key initiatives that would be helpful in terms generally that we and other groups are after to to see more responsive governance. Tamara, any, any last words? I would echo all that Arthur said, and I would also add that the three points that Arthur made, it points to a larger movement that needs to happen, which is that while the BRT statement is a step in the right direction, without more, it's going to just remain that, a really lovely revised statement. What we need is new thinking and new initiatives at various leverage points in the corporate governance system. If we're really really working towards an economy that's more sustainable and works for all. And while, you know, Arthur's three points are very well placed and focused on the board and what companies can do, SE is focused on what shareholders can do to help move this forward and make it a reality. Well, thank you very much, Tamara and Arthur. I really appreciate you informing our members on this and wishing you all the best on SE. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.